Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep and more. We are parenting in an age that is radically different to the time our parents were raising us. Technology has changed the way children are interacting with the world, often in ways we don't fully understand. The eSafety Commission has just released some research on parenting in the digital age. Kelly Britnell is the Manager of Education and Training at the eSafety Commission, and she's here to explain some of the findings. Hi, Kelly. How are you? Hi, Siobhan. I'm well. Thank you. So parents seem to still not know where to go for help with problems that happen online, like bullying or privacy concerns. Where should they go, Kelly? (laughs) That's a very good question, Siobhan. Of course, you should go to the esafety.gov.au site um, that um, we've actually had a national campaign in the last few weeks and months and so we have had some radio ads and we're now on um, buses and billboards and um, all those sorts of things which which is great because we want all Australians to know that the eSafety Commissioner um, exists and our primary um, function is to help Australians when it comes to things online. And I know that sounds sounds so strange. It's so necessary. And there's, the commission's been around for a while, but so few people know about it. Strange, isn't it? I mean, it's such a good resource. It is. We've been around for four years. And in terms of a government agency, that's not very long. Um, you know, the thing to know is that we're actually the only country in the world that has this sort of um, agency looking after the welfare of its citizens when it comes to the online world. Um, we know a few countries are, are, are getting close to having something similar. And they've looked at what we've been able to do in four years. And they can see some of the benefits, particularly around where to go for information on all those big issues, um, the exposure to online pornography, cyberbullying, um, more recently we, image-based abuse, which you know colloquially we know is referred to as revenge porn, um, but we like to call it image-based abuse because that's exactly what it is. So there's a whole lot of um, areas that we work in. Um, the child sexual abuse area is also another one of the functions of the office. So um, we have some reporting areas. So if you have a young person that you know um, or lives in your house, for example, and they are seriously cyberbullied under the age of 18, that once you go to the social media sites and if they don't remove the content and, and you deem that it should be removed, you can actually come to our office. Our investigators will look into all the information you give us and we will act on your behalf. So we act as a safety net. And I think that that's a big thing when we know um, increasingly we hear these stories of young people being impacted um, by, by threats online, fake accounts, um, know that there's somewhere that you can go to. And also you've got advice on the more um, sort of, I'd say, banal areas. Then They're not, I mean, but the things that parents are worried about, such as privacy and ways to talk to the kids about what's happening to them online. And particularly... Um, when we come to the research that you did, one of the things that jumped out to me randomly, but nevertheless surprised me, was that parents are more likely to pursue complaints about online behaviour when it's a girl that's been impacted. Mm. Does that surprise you? Like it feels like quite gendered, like saying, oh, 
poor little girl. She's she's suffered online. We'll do something about it. But you boys, you can just tough it up and deal with it. Am I reading that right? Well, well, that that is very interesting. And I don't know. Like in terms of um, one of the other things that came out of the research was that both mothers and fathers are, are actually engaged when there are things going on online, which is fantastic that we're not seeing it's, you know, just the mothers or if it was the case of just the fathers, but both are being engaged in that. But um, like, it's interesting, you probably have to dig a little bit further with that research as to as to the why. And I don't think we actually went that next step further. As I to suppose w- it could also be that the girls are getting more harassment online, potentially. Yeah, and but- that's why they're Overrepresented, maybe. Well, we 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 do know that that the girls and women um, are dis, disproportionately impacted by it. Um, we know the eighteen to twenty four year olds are, are are the most targeted online. We know that the reports that come in around serious cyberbullying in, into our office, the average age is around fourteen, and you know girls are more represented than, than boys in that area. So. We know just from other research, not our own, but we know that um, boys, you know, stop talking and stop reporting by about year eight. So we're talking wow. 13, 14. And so they don't tell anyone. And like, that's a real concern when they're not talking and there are issues. Um, girls continue um, reporting, particularly to their parents up until a, about a year or two later, um, but then they stop with the parents. But girls keep talking to each other, which we know is good. That's a good thing. But we just have to make sure that the friends who they're seeking advice from are actually get, giving the right advice and and giving you know pointing them to the right support services because we don't want young young people to be in a position where they feel like they have to be you know the psychologist which they are not positioned to be. No, not qualified. I remember thinking I was a bit of a psychologist when I was a teenager, <laughs> and I didn't have social media. Um, you also found that parents of younger children tended to be more restrictive about how their children are using the internet and that they get a bit more relaxed the older they get. Do you, I mean, I know it's, it's sort of surface research, but do you think that's a kind of a fair enough assumption? Can we assume that kids are more savvy online as they get older? Oh, it, it really depends on the child. I, I don't think we can make bl- blanket statements, you know, about young people. And it depends how, how much education we've given them in those early years. And I think that's why it's so vital. Um, and, you know, we, we've just been given um, some funding to actually create some more resources for parents of children in their early years and also teachers in those early years as well. So in the next 12 months, there'll be a lot more coming out of our office for that particular demographic because we know you're going to start early and often with with kids um, when it comes to getting those key messages to them. It's no good waiting and letting them go and play the games and get on apps and, you know, all unfettered access and then something goes wrong and then you step in. Um, if it's a progression that you know once you you know first introduce technology that you're actually having a conversation around privacy and it will be obviously basic the younger they are but you build on that as they get older and as they they want to explore more um, it's the opportunity to kind of co-view and co-play um, and, and I think that's a really key message if you've got young young kids at home that you know you don't just give a device and say here you go even if it is you know I you know, ABC, you know, for children or whatever the case may be, um, that you're actually sitting with them. And so you're teaching some skills as well as knowing what the content is that they're viewing. 
Um, Julie and Man Grant, your commissioner, came on the show once, and I'll never forget, we were talking about sharenting, um, where parents share pictures of their child. And Julie said to me, the best thing you can do is start to ask permission from your children, because that gives them an understanding of what's happening with their image. It gets and gives them an understanding of their rights to their own image. And um, I've got to say, that was a few years ago, and I've done that, and it has been incredible. She is... <laughs> It's incredibly hard for me because I don't get to post any cute photos anymore. But she's very conscious of what I do with her image now. And I can see how that with a young, she's seven now, but she would have been five when I first started asking her. And I have seen how that made a difference to her in her understanding. And it was also a really easy way for me to engage with her. I think sometimes parents think about technology and online safety and just think it's too much the horse is bolted it's too hard to help my child in this situation but there are some really simple steps aren't there and that's a really good one and and I think we um you might have seen it played out um in in the media this year with Gwyneth Paltrow and her daughter on Instagram (laughs) and they had obviously had a conversation about that very topic um and then Gwyneth did post a photo and she thought it was all right because she had ski gear on and then publicly it played out. I can totally empathise with uh, Gwen. (laughs) Gwen and I are on a level there. (laughs) Who who can't really? Um, But I I think it is such a simple thing and and I remember because Julie's got some twins and it was when they were first starting school when she first decided this was probably a very good idea to, to ask permission. But it's those simple things that that you can do in, because you know then when they they have other people and it might be the parents of, of their friends that are taking photos that they will question where where that image is going to go and and like how good is that that a five year old a seven year old can actually start articulating that they want to have control over where their image is going and I think that that's a great thing and and if you can have that conversation you think oh I'm getting somewhere I've got and the interesting extension of that was. At one point, um, we went for a coffee and our favourite thing, which is, well, she didn't have coffee, but uh, lemon meringue tart. And I knew she wouldn't let me take a photo, but I wanted to post about this lovely little daughter, mum-daughter thing we're having. And so I took a very artistic photo of the lemon meringue tarts being half eaten. And I took it and she looked at me and she said, you're not going to post that on social media, are you, mum? Seven-year-old. And I said, well, yeah, I mean, you're not in the picture. And I was going to, and she said, I don't want people knowing what I'm doing, mum. And I thought, she's got a point. <laughs> it's a very irritating point. <laughs> educated you too far. But I, I mean, that was, she was schooling me on that because we've come to a point where we're like, yeah, I want to, I'm sharing this with the world. I'm sharing this experience with the world. And she's like, well, actually, I don't want to share our experience with the world. That's just between you and me. And, and, and that's really a, an extension of what you started with, really, because now it's going beyond that. And it's about location and, and, you know, instead of saying, you know, you don't, you don't tag yourself or, or things like that, she'd already made that connection. Yeah. Um, which you can see how if you hadn't had that first conversation, it wouldn't have led to that oh, one. No, but it's double-edged sword, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back with Kelly Britnell right after this. Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt. 
When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club. Come on, we've all been there. We've all pushed oh. our children's poo <laughs> down, down the, the drain <laughs> of the shower or bath. One that only other parents and carers can truly understand. The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children, with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel wherever you get your podcasts. Now, there were three things that parents said they wanted to know in this research, and I'm wondering if you can answer them for me now. The first one was how to maintain privacy for their kids online. Um, Is this even possible? Like I said, many of us feel like that horse has already bolted. Um, How do we help our children stay private? And sometimes trying to get that balance um, and between the fact that you actually do want to share, and often people have um, relatives that are overseas or friends overseas and you want to share that, but at the same time, you possibly are compromising your child's privacy. And we know that if if you have a child that's under five, one of the things, you know, in relation to accounts and you know for a lot of things you have to sign up now and if that's the case that if there's something they're viewing or an application that that they want to play or a game that what we recommend is use your own email address and like some I'm sure some people have actually created email addresses for their, their children even if they are under the age of five but in relation to their privacy Use your information um, because there's a lot more of your information out there than, than theirs so that that's one thing you can possibly do. The other thing is that if they ask to go on a particular site, and again, there is some sign-up, that you're actually aware of the information that's being asked. Because you know sometimes, even yourself, why do they need to know this information? And if it's not compulsory to do it... Um, there's no reason we, we should actually be sharing that information. So that, that, that's another key point. And probably just the, the third, um, which we've already touched upon, is that sharing of photos or videos. If you are putting, the, putting it anywhere where it's public, you are exposing it to a whole lot of people that you will not know of their intentions. And unfortunately, um, other people's intentions may not be the same as yours. Mm. Okay, the second one was how to protect children from the approach of strangers online. Now, I guess this is a little bit older than what we'd normally talk about because you're assuming that the children are online doing things themselves. But, I mean, can we assume that? I know my kids are obsessed with YouTube. Is there any way someone can approach them online if they're watching and engaging with some really annoying YouTuber? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know there was such a thing. Um, But, um, you know, one of the things about, you know, contact with strangers, as as soon as there's that social nature of social media, there's a chance there's going to be interactions. And for for young kids in particular, I'd be, you know, thinking more about um, those sites that have chat functions, about turning those chat functions off. Um, And even some of the, the applications that are, you know, created for young children, often you can play them in isolation. And then if you enable some other functions, they can actually play with people they know. And and then there's some other functions where they can play with a whole lot of people from anywhere. And so, you know, being aware of, you know, the age and being age appropriate, what that interaction is, if they are communicating with people who they don't know and they're under the age of five, you need to be there with them. You need to be co-playing because it doesn't take much for, you know, a conversation to, to go in an area that you might immediately see that I don't like the look of this and 
we're going to turn it off. Whereas a young child doesn't have the cognitive skills to sometimes realise um, what they're seeing and what they're reading. So it's so important for the under fives that you are a part of their viewing and their playing. My son only just turned five and um, he is a fan of YouTube very annoying YouTube people. I think it's fair to say, I will name no names, but honestly, some of the stuff they watch, ridiculous. Uh, rant over. That he um, he has that little boy brain that gets really wrapped into television, wrapped into devices. And I was thinking the other day, you know what? I We don't have any game consoles in our house. And I was like, I'm not a very strict parent, but I am so tempted to never let game consoles in my house, um, not just because of that addictive nature of their brains once they get into it, but also um, how so many of those games now are multi-platform and you can be playing with people from all kinds of areas. Is that even a reasonable thing to do as a parent? Because I know, generally speaking, the eSafety Commission doesn't um, preach complete abstinence from technology more an understanding of it. Um but isn't game aren't games sometimes just the gateway to a whole lot of problems? Well, well, some some parents would say that, particularly when it starts getting out of control. And I think there's been a lot of press, particularly around Fortnite, because of its popularity, the fact that it's free. Um, but I think what you have to always remember, um, and it's like any other you know parenting decision, what's going to work for your family? And you know if you can see. I suppose you might have siblings with their own children and you can see some of the things that they're allowing and then the consequences. And if gaming is one of them, your child will not be disadvantaged um, or, or be you know, held back at school because they are not gaming. Um, so I think that, be very clear about that. So, And again, as soon as they do enter school and they'll try on that everyone else is doing it, Stand firm and, you know, I, I think that's the beauty of, of parenting that, you know, there's not one parenting manual um, and, you know, there's not one parent that does it all right um, and sometimes you're going to make mistakes. But particularly around the technology, it's so important that um, you consider when you bring technology into your house how it's going to operate for your family. And what are the rules you're going to have? It's best to you know set them up at the start because if you let it go and then you think, you know, it's dinner time and there's a tantrum because they want to finish off a particular game, you know, there, there's an issue there and it starts getting into the the balance um, and already it's probably out of kilter um, when when there's the tantrums that ensue ensue with technology. Yeah, particularly, you know, they're in the middle of excelling to whatever level and you're like nope dinner time um okay the third and final one was how to tell that a child might be having a hard time online i mean you mentioned that boys stop reporting issues around the age of 13 um and i imagine that with some things that happen they just aren't able to verbalize it or are too scared to say it so are there signs that you can tell that a child is having trouble the first one is to pick up on if you can see that they're getting upset um, or they're becoming withdrawn after they've been playing something or on a device um, or in the same way if they're being secretive and, and, and sometimes it might be that you've got some rules about where the technology should be but somehow it's crept into an area that you didn't know that they were playing and that when you come in that all of a sudden it gets you know tossed under the, the bedclothes or just so that you can't see there's probably something going on or it's at least worth a conversation at, 
as to why they're playing where they are or they're, you know, why they're acting or, you know, keeping it a secret from you. So I think that's very important. Um, being able to hear um, what they're viewing. And, you know, one of the investigation teams that we have um, at, at the office of the eSafety Commission commissioner is our prohibited online content, which really most of the work that they do is taking reports from any Australian, and someone can do it anonymously, uh, when they find child sexual abuse material online. And I know some of our investigators have talked about the fact that they have viewed um, some video content, and it's a young child being coerced by a stranger to do certain acts online and in the background and obviously in the room next door you can actually hear the parents so they oh, have God. absolutely no idea about what is happening in their own home um, and one of the things I suppose for this age group you know you hear lots of analogies but you know when you take your kids to a playground and there might be a sand pit um, you just wouldn't dump them in the sand pit and go and get your coffee or your lemon, <laughs> lemon meringue pot. You might. Because, I might. They're pretty good. Well, and you want, to, you want to take the photo and show everyone where you are. Yeah. But, but <laughs> most people don't do that. Yeah. Uh, that even if, you know, you want to give them some, you know, some rope and you want this to see how they interact with others, but you will be in eye shot of them, that if something untoward happens, you are very close. Um, so why would it be any different to what can, what's the potential with the internet, that you need to be knowing what they're on, and the younger that they are, the more important that is. Um, it's not to say hands off as they get older, but you do, the rope is longer, um, mm-hmm. because you want them to build up skills, um, you want them to have some resilience when things go wrong, you don't want to solve it for them. You want to coach them through that. And I think that's really important when things do go wrong. Um, don't be there just to fix it because we know that doesn't, doesn't lead to growth. And, and you know, you know, bad things do happen as we grow older, but you want them to be learning opportunities as well and learn together. Um, sometimes as a coach, um, you got to have consistency of message. You also have to, um, you know, show them, you know, where there's areas of weakness, where we could improve and things like that. And so that, that's where you come in and take on that role as coach when things go wrong, not the fixer. I think I'm just going to go and be an Amish farmer. <laughs> Sounds, but no, I shouldn't. I shouldn't make fun because it's a it's a world that we live in, and um, the office of the eSafety Commissioner that has so much, re, so many resources and support networks. I'm still surprised that parents don't know about it. Um, Kelly, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That's Kelly Britnell, Manager of Education and Training at the Office of the eSafety Commissioner. And we'll put links to the research we were referring to in that interview in the notes of this episode, as well as links to the actual site and where you can find their amazing resources if you need any help dealing with the digital world and your child. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.